0: Welcome to Weekday Worship Weekday
1: Worship (laughs) I could have held that longer, but I Um, saw the look on your face Already regretting this Dude, this is... Are you kidding me? A little excitement? like the much anticipated long awaited season I don't even know what season we're on uh, three. we're like we're like a full month late getting start two months late getting started
0: yeah
1: it's kind of like i don't know ted lasso production like it was supposed to be a four And fall we probably wouldn't have been started
0: unless you kept asking me about it
1: i know mm-hmm. i know it's like I was gonna. I was gonna get voted out as an elder. If we oh didn't my God I don't even. Know. Well, I've got to. Certainly, I got to start looking for, you know, a co-host. No, I got to. No, I got to. This next semester and change is going to be here. brutal. We're for doing you. it right now. We're doing it. We're doing it. Yes. Hey, welcome. You. Uh, some things have happened since we yeah. last. Yeah, I was on vacation. We're uh, on radio together. Uh, you were on vacation this whole I time. I was not on vacation. Oh no, reason. I know. There was a baby. You had a baby baby. somewhere in there? Yes, I did. Natalie did most of the work, but yes. Thank you, Natalie. Good job. How many days old is he? Little Kuiper. He's over two weeks old. He's almost three. Oh (laughs) he's almost three weeks old? Almost three weeks old. I got to come see him last week. He is adorable.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Looks like he's doing good. Yeah, he's alive, healthy. Yep. It's exciting. Very exciting. Big, yeah. big change. You also moved? I did. In the span of time since we I last were on? I moved
0: on. three miles from where I lived previously.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, you got accepted into a PhD program? I did, yes. I'm trying to think what other thing. Nothing has happened in my life for the record, so I'm just going to keep <laughs> spouting off about yours. Uh, I've had a quite a quite uh, quite a
0: monumental September.
1: Yeah. So, even at the national CrossFit games on ESPN, no, I'm, no. I'm still really bad at that. <laughs> so, all right, well, um, yeah. So you're back in the seminary uh, flow of things. You've mm-hmm. got the PhD stuff kind of kicking into gear simultaneously. Because yes. you're a you know, it's
0: official when they start asking you for money.
1: Yeah. So, give me that cash. Yes. Um, that's interesting. Institutions asking for money. Well, that's how they survive. <laughs> Indeed, especially ones not funded by the federal government. Well, dude, it's been way too long. It has. <laughs> um, but we filmed our or filmed we recorded our last episode in like July, June? probably early July, late June, something yeah, like that. Probably so. Um, the, uh, the 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 audience wants what the audience wants, and they keep they keep. Somebody clamoring. at or
0: asked me this past week hey, when are you doing the podcast again
1: <laughs> at your seminary yeah see
0: there we've got a uh i said well when you do all my work audience. for
1: me then i'll have time to <laughs> i don't think you would trust anybody else with i'm trying to imagine you trusting somebody else with your work probably not you don't seem like the guy at this stage of life who's uh doing a group project and allowing the rest of the group to do the project
0: no no
1: certainly not in seminary Mm-mm. environment so. nope so um, we're back. You're also on like seminary student council. Well, yeah, but that's nothing. We're, I don't really do much for that.
0: That's a that's a project. Oh my gosh! I hope none of my I hope my fellow seminarians are not listening to this because <laughs> there's some people who do who do all the work for that, and I just come. And oh, you and mail
1: it in for that. that. I mail it that's in. that's yeah. the area you mail it in on. Yeah, okay, kind of we found that. it. Good yeah. deal. Yeah. Good yeah. deal. I'm a lazy bureaucrat. And, yeah. <laughs> but sounds like you'd be a good politician, Caleb uh that's not where i'm going for but all right well a new season is upon us yes. we have a little bit of a we've plan we've been doing
0: this for three years i think i think
1: we did it we started doing it during covid right yes i'm pretty this sure this is the, i think we've done year. it for two years this is the start of our third year the start of our third year yeah okay that makes sense. i think somewhere around if we play our cards right somewhere around the end of this year beginning of next year we'll We'll celebrate our hundredth episode, something, something like, like that. that. I think we're in the '80s right now. Yeah. So. So we've been doing it a long time. We'll have to. Uh, we'll <laughs> have to talk to the uh, weekday worship staff, <laughs> and um, make sure we get some proper things planned for that. Yes. Yes. So.
0: I, where are we going? Where we're going on the podcast? Well, first I'll say this because, uh, l- you know, I'm always asking for recommendations on on uh, what oh, we should, yeah, yeah, yeah. what kind of episodes we should do. I did get an email about one a while back. Yeah, from, I said uh, we would do. My, We're not we, going to do it now, but I I have it planned. Um, Lizzie Chacon yeah. asked if we could do something on the
1: Holy Spirit, um, the person of the Holy Spirit. Did she say the person of the Holy Spirit, or walking like what it looks like to walk by the Spirit? I have to really we'll have to go back can, and look at the. But we could do the we could do both. Of those. We could do it. Yeah, we can. do I
0: I, I think it was on the Holy Spirit
1: Himself. Do you think there's enough? Things to consider about the Holy Spirit to fill two full episodes. I'm joking. I'm not even gonna
0: respond to that. Oh my! Gosh. We can
1: do. We can do plenty. I'm gonna send on the Holy James a reading list after this <laughs> podcast is over,
0: and it will take him till he's 50 years old uh, to get
1: through the first page. You know what I've got on my shelf actually at oh. home? Uh, I think I have a. Uh, uh, I think I have a, a volume by Abraham Kuyper on the Holy Spirit. Your son's namesake.
0: Yes, my son's namesake, so. Abraham Kuyper. All right. It's pretty, pretty good. good. He's got some wonky stuff in there a little bit, but it's pretty good.
1: So, all that is to say, we're yes. going to do something. We coming are going up on to do this.
0: Lizzie, if you're listening, we are going to. Like, I have that. We point. hear you, Lizzie. We yes. hear you.
1: Probably in
0: a month or two, um, I'm going mi- to coincide it with something else.
1: Ooh, uh, interesting. Nice teeth. We're getting better at this radio thing. No, we're not. You just, like, you did this great like layout so that people are going to be on the edge of their seat for two months they waiting might. for the Holy Spirit. They might, yes. like, Yes. Okay. Don't wait on the Holy Spirit. He's already here. <laughs> That's my first point. <laughs> <laughs> I, feel rust- I feel like we're a little rusty here. Yeah, sure. Okay.
0: All right, but so what I wanted to do in this first few weeks is kind of help support our sermon series that we're going through right now, the story of our lives, um, that is walking through the life of Jacob, who is who becomes, as we'll see in a few weeks, in our sermon series, Israel. That becomes his name, and uh, his sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. And we're walking through that, both to see the bigger story of Jacob and see uh, our own stories within it. And we had even thought about doing some kind of uh, before the series started, some sermons on Abraham, his Jacob's grandfather, to kind of set it up. Um, but life kind of just showed
1: me I can't do as many things as I want to do. Um, yeah, and we we kind of have... We've peeked back here and there, and mm-hmm. like almost some flashback type yeah. things as we're walking through the story of Jacob to connect some of those dots. Yeah. And so we're trying to... One of the things that in a sense that we're simulating in the sermon series is how we're just, we don't have a neat, tidy beginning and ending to our stories. Mm-hmm. Like we're born into yeah. a story that's much underway already and yeah. we start to connect dots of yeah. that that preceded us. And so we're kind of okay. doing that along the way. And we're seeing that through the very not neat and tidy
0: stories of the patriarchs, yeah. specifically Jacob.
1: Yeah, for sure. Right? And so I want to take the opportunity. Plus, Go ahead. you and I being the trendy... Pop culture, avid pop culture, sort of people that we are. There's this, you know, recent years wave of like origin stories that tie to like, you know, whatever that Hollywood puts out all the time now. So this on the weekday worship podcast will be a little bit of an origin story for the Sunday sermon series. Sure, I like that.
0: <laughs> I like that. So we're gonna we're gonna look some at pr- some prequel life. action. We're going to connect it to the broader the text of Scripture, the big themes of Scripture, um, and seeing a lot of the same things that we see in Abraham's grandson, Jacob, in Abraham's life itself. Uh, Indeed. And this, this format obviously gives us an opportunity to to do different things than a sermon could do. Um, yeah, for Where sure. we can kind of dialogue about it, maybe po- point out some more technical stuff that you just don't have time to do in a sermon, those sorts of things. Um, so we're just we're just trying to take a deeper look into the story of Abraham to support and uh, give us a richer view of the generations of Abraham, particularly Jacob, as we're looking at on Sundays. And I want to start that today by looking at, Lord willing, if we can get through it, uh, Genesis 12 and 13, which is kind of the setup. It's the first introduction of Abraham and a huge transition point in the story of Genesis itself. Um, But we kind of need to we need, kind of need to frame that. We need to frame why why Abraham, why now, why is there, what's going on between... We need the uh, prequel to the prequel. The prequel to the prequel. You need prequels on prequels <laughs> on prequels, all right? George Lucas style. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, here's a personal note. I was thinking about this today. Uh, you haven't heard a lot of personal things from me in a while on this podcast, because so, you haven't heard my voice at all. So, uh, over, the years, over, the, over the years, I have struggled sometimes with, with doubt about God and the things of God, and if God's true, if the Bible's true, all these sorts of things. Um, I've had my seasons of doubt in those areas. And one of the things that has constantly reassured me that God is who He says He is, and His Word is true, is seen the unbelievable storyline of Scripture so simply laid out in the Bible, but so complexly kind of fitted together. Mm-hmm. It's this masterpiece of the text that seems... It's like an orchestra that I, I just don't understand how any human... Kind of invention could create, though God used humans to do it. Yeah, (laughs) Um, like the, a lot of times when you think about how how do how do we know Scripture is true? We talk about things like, you know, thinking about the doctrine of infallibility or inerrancy. Do we believe the Bible is correct? And those things are wonderful, and I believe in those things, but they're kind of responding to a negative, right? It's is God's word true or not? How do we think about its uh, reliability? And we, and we argue, um, I think, correctly that oh, what God says is true. His word is true. These are the reasons why. But there's a positive argument um, for why we can believe the Bible is true and inspired by God. It's how beautiful the story is mm. and how unbelievably it connects. Honestly, that has done more to reinforce my trust, my trust in Scripture mm-hmm. than other sorts of apologetic
1: arguments for the text. Yeah, there's if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean well, it's endlessly fascinating. There are it's so rich. It there's it's like this. I like the idea of, that you said of like a an orchestra or symphony kind of thing of all of these component parts that by themselves might have a measure of beauty or or something in them. Mm-hmm. Um but if you played them in different ways, it would have this discordant sort of sound, mm-hmm. but when you put all of these different component parts yeah. together, and they're woven in together in this beautiful yeah. melody, and yeah. the the different swells and there's and like stuff. a thousand but, parts that I'm, are contributing to this melodic line. Through the yeah, text. and it's just incredible. I mean, it's and and the thing is, is guys like you and I. I mean, nobody has guys much smarter much older who have given themselves much more thoroughly to this, the study of scripture than even you and I have, they haven't plumbed the depths. Like we certainly have not touched bottom here. Like we are like in many ways we're barely scratching the surface and it just, it, it draws you in deeper and deeper and deeper. And at every, every time I look at it and I see it from a different angle and the, the, it's like it, um, I don't know, it's like it takes on a new dimension of beauty and a new dimension of complexity and a new dimension of, like, uh, breathtaking Mm -hmm. sort of, it just arrests you. And And at
0: the same time, being so
1: simple. Yeah.
0: So simple. Yeah. You know, Augustine said one time, I think this is beautiful, he said, Scripture is shallow enough for a lamb to wade in it and deep enough for an elephant to swim in it. Mm -hmm. What he meant by that is... The message of Scripture is so consistent and clear, and you can serve it up to children, and yet you can be the most brilliant mind in the world and not even have touched the depths Mm -hmm. and the complexity of what's going on here. Yeah. Um, And that's why I love doing this kind of stuff we're about to do here, is just digging into the text itself and seeing how it connects all of these themes and threads. Yeah that are huge themes that we can serve up, but we see how complexly they're laid out in Scripture in so many ways.
1: That's good.
0: And so kind of the first thread that we need to connect to the whole text is Genesis 3. Genesis 1 through 3 literally set the tone, set the themes of the, the rest of the story. Anywhere you look in Scripture, you're going to see themes and patterns, things that tie back to what's going on in God's creation of the world, God's relationship with man, man's fall into sin, and God's provision for that, fail, that fall.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so whenever we look at a text like this, especially a big text, a huge pivotal text like the story of Abraham, we always need to ask, how is this tying back to the origin story, not just of Abraham, but of the whole Bible itself,
1: of, of all of history?
0: Yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. um, yeah. So, okay. So how we do that is we look back, and we see obviously all of our listeners mostly will, will know the story. God creates the world, creates Adam and Eve to be His vice regent on Earth to steward His His uh, world, His garden, to uh, worship Him, and uh, to live in obedience to Him. Adam and Eve fail at that. And uh, with Adam's failure, the entire human race becomes uh, uh, sinful and are held accountable, and uh, the world falls into to real decay through the temptation of a snake, a serpent, as the Scripture represents it, that questions God's word, questions God's faithfulness, and Adam and Eve fall in that trial. And yet, when God chooses to confront them, he does two things. He, one, he gives them the consequences of their sin, Mm -hmm. but he also curses the enemy, the serpent, and provides grace for Adam and Eve. And this culminates kind of in Genesis 3.15. James, will you read that verse?
1: Um,
0: In Genesis 3.15. Sword drill. Get my Bible. Where you get really, post-fall, the most important verse that sets the tone for the entire Bible.
1: Starting in verse 14, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field, and you, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And then verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel.
0: Okay, so in the midst of the sin, right, when they, when God said they were surely going to die, (laughs) he comes in with grace, though they have to deal with the consequence of their sin, live in a fallen world, live in frustration with him, live in frustration with the ground and the earth and the beasts of the field and all those sorts of things. God pronounces a curse on the serpent, says there'll be enmity between him and the woman and her offspring, and, uh says that eventually through that division between the seed of the woman and the serpent and his clan of folks, uh, the serpent will be crushed, though the serpent will bruise the head of the seed. So right there you have this division amongst the offspring of Adam and Eve. In the human race, God says there's a seed that he's weaving through that will produce salvation, and you've got a, another group that is what uh, John Barker, Adam, if you're listening, you can tell him that I'm probably going to use this for the rest of my life. We were talking about this in a different context, talking through Deuteronomy the other night, and John, well, I, we looked back at Genesis 3.15 and talked about the snake and, uh, and the people that kind of follow him, the, the people who are apart from God, and John called them snaky people. Snaky people. Snaky people. I love that. I think that's really good. So you've got this battle <laughs> throughout the scriptures and to the world today, till Christ returns, where you've got, you've got the enemies of God and you've got God's people. And there's a battle that's going on between them mm-hmm. um, that in the text of scripture is kind of, they're, they're trying to fight against God's plan to fulfill this promise in mm-hmm. Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15 is the promise of the gospel to a fallen humanity.
1: In, no pun intended, in seed form. Yes. Right? So this is where the promise of God that he will bring redemption, salvation, uh, freedom, the renewal, like of all things, this is that what what theologians call the, how do you like to pronounce this word? I've heard it pronounced different ways. The Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel, right? Mm -hmm. The first time in the scriptures that the gospel is declared. Yes. It's right here, Genesis 3.15. Yes. Yes. So the promise is given, and and in that promise, it, it, Galatians three or four points out. I think it's three points out that God's promise of offspring is not the promise of a multitude of offsprings. Mm-hmm. This is in the Hebrew. This is a promise of a singular yeah. offspring, not offsprings, mm-hmm. but singular offspring. Yeah. The means, the means to get to that end
0: goal of the one offspring, is the many. Is the many is Is the nation, right? Right. Is the people of Israel. But that was not a means in itself. It was to get to this one offspring, Christ. Right? Right? Okay, so you've got this promise of the gospel right there, bang, at the beginning of the Bible. And um, everything from this point forward in the story of Scripture is showing you how that promise and its fulfillment will play out. Mm -hmm. That is like, if you miss this, you miss everything. Right. You miss absolutely everything. And so the first Eleven chapters. It's why, of, go ahead. It's,
1: it's why it's so important that while it's right to say that the Word of God, the Scriptures, are our rule for faith and practice, mm-hmm. and while there are certainly instructions in here and there's yes. uh, moral categories and commands and all these things, it's so important. But we cannot reduce Scripture to only these things. Mm-hmm. We have to understand it first as a story, and 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 to see it as. This beginning of Genesis 1, 2, and 3 with this promise as the story that the Bible is telling is the fulfillment of that promise. Yes, yes. So we have to connect that to what's going on in
0: the rest of Genesis and the rest of the Bible. Uh, Another important thing to think about is, and I mentioned this in my sermon a couple weeks ago, is we need to ask, what was the purpose of this writing for the people who first received it? Yeah. Like Here's something important to think about. The Bible was written for us, but it, the books weren't written to us. Mm-hmm. They had a specific purpose and audience, and we need to pay attention to that to get, most, get what God wants for us through them. Yeah. Moses writes the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, in the context of the people coming out of a pagan place, Egypt, living there for generations, not, not having a lot of knowledge, and uh, they've been just inculcated in that culture, Right. Mm-hmm. And they need to be reminded or even taught uh, for the first time the their faithfulness story. of God to their descendants, to the world, and God's covenant faithfulness, even in the midst of trial, as he's about to make a new covenant with them mm-hmm. at Sinai. Yeah. So this is a kind of, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a preamble, it's a description of how this king, God king, who's about to make a covenant with this people, Israel, the reason you can trust him is because he's always been faithful.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: that's what we're doing here. That's what Moses is trying to get yeah. across through that, Which I in don't spite think, of us. <laughs> I don't
1: think many of us think about that, no. about the fact that like, we, we're we more accustomed to probably reading New Testament letters that way, Yeah. of going, oh, okay, well, Paul wrote this letter to the church, the Christians, and this geographic area, and yeah. and the, the comprising the church there, and and so we can kind of get into that situation, and they were in the Roman Empire, and da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, but we, I think it's, it's different to read the, A, I think Old Testament that way, but B, reading narrative of yes. Old Testament that way, for but sure. recognizing that this was still written yeah. by a person inspired by God, but yeah. for a particular people at a particular point in mm-hmm. history for a particular purpose. Yeah. And we want to make sure that we we dial into something of that so that yeah. we can fa- understand it faithfully. Yeah.
0: So the main point of the Abraham story, the Jacob story, the entire, this entire block of Scripture, and really all of Scripture, but particularly what we're looking at here in Genesis, is not, let's hold up Jacob and Abraham as great, great models. It's actually, let's hold up God as the faithful God in spite of these men. Yeah. In spite of their successes, where they were obedient, and in spite of places where they really failed. Yeah. They were a mixed bag, right. and yet God was faithful through all of that up and down of human messiness. Right. So the point is to look and say, "Wow, God is faithful through to fulfill His promise through all of this up and down roller coaster of what is the human life."
1: Yeah, and so in a sense, we want to read it like Israel themselves would have been reading it, uh, having been miraculously brought out of Egypt. Mm-hmm. and into the wilderness, yes. on the cusp of the Sinai Covenant, yeah. uh, wandering in the wilderness yes. at this point. Facing not yet... God
0: in their own generation. Yep.
1: And not, not yet to the promised land. Mm-hmm. And so we're at a very different point in history, obviously, but mm-hmm. it is useful to us in this exact same way to understand how do we get here. Yeah. How? And we're on a similar
0: journey. Abraham longed for a greater homeland.
1: Yeah. So how the book we, of Hebrews connects us to this exile story. Right. How did we get here? And why on earth should we trust the God behind all of this, above all of this, in the midst of where we find ourselves? Mm-hmm. And, has he proved, and because he's proven faithful. And look at who he is and his character and his nature and yeah. his work and his redemption in history for people like us.
0: Yes. Okay. So that's big kind of meta framing of the text here. Genesis one through eleven, I'm not going to recount it here, but it it covers thousands of years. Okay, big huge blocks of what's going on up to this point to for God to get ready to to enact, and He is enacting this plan of uh, fulfilling Genesis 3:15. After Genesis eleven, you get this zoom in. We're no longer covering these big huge thousands blocks of years. We're covering now one man, his little family. And like Genesis, the Abraham story covers just a few decades, really. Mm -hmm. So you've got this super zoom in. So you've got a transition in Genesis here after 1 through 11 to this kind of new section that you call the patriarchal story in 12 through 50 where you get Abraham and his family onward. Mm -hmm. Um, That's significant. So here God zooms in, kind of dials in on his plan. Mm -hmm. And you get this introduction after Babel, after the people are dispersed, you get the genealogy of Shem, which uh, I'm just summarizing here. But Shem, really, if you trace it through scriptures, that's where the seed, the godly line, is coming through. Abraham is a descendant through Noah. of Shem through Noah. Yeah, as Noah kind of re, kind of, he's almost like another Adam who kind of repopulates the earth, right? Mm-hmm. And and you've got that line forming. Uh, Ab- Abram, I always forget, that and he hasn't become Abraham yet.
1: And he's, of course, this is why as well we have all the genealogical stories or genealogical. Uh, sort of lists, right? Yeah, it's tracking the seed. Yes, right. Yes, and it's tracking the seed. Well, it's tracking the seed of the woman. Yes, and the seed of the serpent, yes. the snaky people. Yeah, the Bible's an earthy book. It cares about genealogy. It's not just this
0: isn't like God is tracking the fle- the blood and flesh mm-hmm. of these people in order to to fulfill His line. Okay, so at the end of Genesis eleven, you get you you get the introduction of Abraham's father, Terah, and uh, And kind of his genealogy, and he says he has Abram. And uh, though they're from the line of Shem, don't assume they were already God worshipers. I found this really interesting. I I heard another person uh, say this when I was uh, uh, looking at something about this earlier in the week. In Joshua, in Joshua 24, listen to what Joshua says about uh, Abraham and his family. This is Joshua 24, 2. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Abraham's family, they were pagans. Yeah. It wasn't like they were already kind of godly people and God Mm -hmm. decided to use them. God plucked these pagan people out of nowhere, blindsides Abram, Mm -hmm. and says, you're going to be mine. Yeah. Amazing, It's crazy. Right? So it's just like, just out of nowhere. Like, it wasn't like it was expected Abraham would have fallen in, in some sort of godly line, though he's from that those descendants. He's a pagan person, and God calls him out. <laughs> like he does all of us. Amazing. Okay. So we get this kind of genealogy of Abram, and then we get the first encounter with Abram, starting in Genesis chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 3. This is the first thing we get about Abr-
1: Abram. James, We read it? Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed.
0: Okay, so it opens up. Abram hasn't said anything. God calls him out. God ap- appears to him in some way, and speaks to him, and gives him this just crazy promise. He's going to show you the land. He's going to make you a part of some sort of great nation. It's going to come from you in some way. He talks about the seed that he's going to give him. He talks about kingship, and he talks about this blessing, that he'll bless you. And anyone who blesses you, he'll bless. Anyone who curses, uh, he will destroy or dishonor, um, something like that. Um, And yet all that is a means at the end where it says... Uh, He will bless all the families of the earth, the text Mm -hmm. says. In Hebrew, that word is Adam. All the families of... So the the word for Adam really means earthiness or man's earthiness. So all the families of Adam or of the earth, Mm -hmm. all the families descended from Adam. All of humanity? Yes, all of humanity. That's the... That's the point of all this. <laughs> yeah. We forget that sometimes because it focuses so much on Abraham and God choosing this one guy. But the point of choosing one guy is to bless all people, mm-hmm. which is really important in the larger story of the Bible.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, okay, so you've got that land idea, you've got that seed idea, you've got that kingship idea, you've got this blessing idea. And those elements of the Abrahamic covenant are shot through the entire rest of the Old Testament. All of the story of Scripture kind of hits around those themes in many ways mm-hmm. going forward uh, ultimately obviously culminating in the person work of Jesus um, but this is the this is the means by which God is going to fulfill or enact his plan in Genesis 3:15 he's going to create a descendant through the seed he's going to give him a land that he is to uh, protect he's going to give him a people to protect he's going to make that seed a king and he's going to bless people through that king and his victory. Mm-hmm. So you, you see these elements of how God is going to basically fulfill that promise in Genesis 3.15 yeah.
1: started, And so you move from Genesis 3.15, this is a sort of uh, a recapitulating of that promise, and, and we're starting to find out just a tad bit more, right? Like mm-hmm. we still don't fully understand it by the this point. The ingredients of how this is going to work. Yeah, you're, it's starting to take on a little bit more shape, and that's sort of how this is going to go he's yeah. going to come to abraham again and he's going to come to yeah. to other future offspring through the, the whom uh, through whose line the christ will be born and and in different generations as time progresses more is going to become clear more mm-hmm. revelation yes. is going to be shed on There's what we should be looking for. yeah and so that's promise. kind of what the old testament is doing through these different you know you'll see it it takes on a, a, a new dimension in the life of David, who's in this line later on, right? Mm-hmm. And so Second Samuel 7 will kind of unpack a little bit more, and Isaiah will unpack a little bit more. And so we're going to see different things along the way in the, yes. the progression. Yes, and
0: another important theme that, uh, that emerges right here in this promise is in twelve two, in verse 2, God says, He will make His name great. Mm. What is that contrasting? What did the people in Babel say?
1: They wanted to make their name great. It's, they will this, make it for them. Let's make yeah, a name for ourselves. For ourselves, yeah.
0: So, so uh, immediately you have God contrasting how he's going to work. It is not you who schemes to make your name great. It is me who graciously makes you great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do that work. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You immediately see that contrast of humans doing things on their own for their own glory. And God getting the glory because he's the one who fulfills the work.
1: So let me just tie that to the current series that we're doing since we're doing that. So when you see, um, let's say, um, well, starting with Isaac and Rebecca, where we saw the birth of of these twins. Mm -hmm. When was that? After 20 years of praying Mm -hmm. to God, hoping in God, waiting on God, not taking matters into their own hands. Mm -hmm. And what happens? God gives them two sons Mm -hmm. and he chooses the one. You, uh, in Abraham's life, we'll see later on. Yeah. What did he do when he got old yeah. and he wasn't having a baby with Sarah? So yeah. Sarah did what? She brings the concubine mm-hmm. in and she tries to take matters into their own yes. hands. Yes. So that, and God says, that is not the way I'm going to work. If you, I'm going to do it my way. If
0: you could summarize the text's negative kind of overview of all the things that these patriarchs do, it's what you just said. Yeah. They take matters into their own hands. Right. That's like a huge theme in scripture that God wants to, all the way from like the practicalities of working out the plan through like blood and flesh to like the spiritual realities of our own salvation. Like this is a theme shot. And that's
1: why we see these themes of God taking, you know, barren women and bringing about a sort of supernatural uh, uh, birth of offspring. It's why we see God taking women in old age beyond childbearing years and giving uh birth to children in a miraculous way mm-hmm. because he's making clear you cannot bring about the fulfillment of God's promises by human means or human engineering or human plans and scheming. Yes. You cannot accomplish what only God yes. can do and has promised to do.
0: Yes. So. Okay, so you see these big themes emerge. Like these are huge monumental verses in scripture. So those kind of play out in two ways in the kind of the, just a big overview of Abraham, you get this focus on how how God gives him the land in verses. I mean, in chapters 12 through 15, and you get God dealing with the seed stuff really in 16 through 22, where He focuses in on that aspect of the promise. Mm. It's that's not airtight, but that's yeah. that's mainly the focuses. And so,
1: right off the so bat, that would be similar in the construction. I'd pointed this out a couple of weeks ago that that there's a few chapters successively where. The Bible doesn't tell the story linearly, Mm -hmm. but it's telling it sort of categorically. So like in Jacob's life, we see, or Isaac and Jacob, we see how Isaac uh, inherits or is brought into a certain land. We see the offspring come about. And so Mm -hmm. it's dealing with the, the offspring, the land, the offspring, and the blessing in these different sections. The individual aspects of the promise. Right.
0: So immediately... Immediately, God has given these amazing blessings and promises to Abraham, tells him to go. And, uh, and Abraham, verse 4 through 9, he goes into the land. He's already 75 years old at this point. Yeah, he's, they're, they're exploring it. Uh, this is pretty fresh. So they've just walked into all this promises of God. He takes his, his uh, Lot is his nephew, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Lot is his nephew. Uh, he takes him with him, and they're, and they're there. And the question is, how will A- Abram live in response to God's promises? how will he how will he live out this faith that God has given him and you see this kind of mixed bag as we'll see in abraham
1: so james will you read genesis 12:10 through 16 now there was a famine in the land so abram went down to egypt to sojourn there for famine was the famine was severe in the land when he was about to enter egypt he said to sarah his wife i know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance and when the egyptians see you they will say this is his wife then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful, and when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male, uh, sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels." Okay, so immediately, kind of after the
0: next scene in this story, after Abraham has heard the promise of God, he goes in the land, immediately he, he faces a trial. And what's, in, what's interesting is you, you immediately see another motif start to imagine. What does it sound like when it says he went down into Egypt? When, when those Israelites that Moses is writing to would have heard this for the first time, what would they have thought of?
1: Oh, we know what it's like in Egypt. <laughs> we went down to Egypt. Yeah. Right? So
0: you see this exodus motif starting to form in Scripture of kind
1: of leaving the promised land to go to Egypt. with The part we didn't read, verses 4 to 9, uh-huh. are actually Abram leaving Ur, yes. his homeland. Yes. Leaving the, the family, his homeland, and traveling where? To Canaan. Yes. He's in the land. So he's in the land already. He, yes. Right away, yes. he's in the land. Yes. So he's there. But then, Mm -hmm. I mean, we even see this place Bethel, which comes back later on. You preached on the text where Jacob meets God at Bethel. Moses is kind of just using the name that Jacob had already
0: changed it to. It's really Luz, right? Because Jacob Jacob changes
1: it later. But yes, he's in that land, in the place where God says, I promise to bless you. And, And it's important to me that we just recognize this. Uh, God promises again to him there. He did have an appearance. The Lord appeared to him. Yes, you're right. And he He promised him again, I'm going to give this land to your Mm -hmm. offspring. He reassures him. And he, in response to this, built an altar there, and he worshiped the Lord. Yes. So he's starting to learn about, I mean, worship is a part of pagan practice, so he has some context for what worship Mm -hmm. looks like, but he's starting to channel his worship to Yahweh. Yes. He's starting to, to, to make that move, and yet... To your point in this next section that we just read, yes. when he so something happens, he's in the land. This is the land he's going to give. It's like mm-hmm. God was giving him a preview of it. Yeah, and then what happens? Famine in the land immediately. Famine so comes. Now, in now he's got to go find somewhere else so he can provide for his family. So which, he's leaving the land that's promised. So so
0: think about this. Which we go a lot of different ways. like you think about this. This, this is what Jacob had to do and his sons. Mm-hmm. You know they had, they had to go to Egypt because yes. of the famine, but. You see this trial motif begin to appear where Abraham has has been given the Word of God, the promise of God, the sheer promise of God, and when he faces his first trial, he doesn't, he doesn't go back to God and say, God, what should I do here? You right. told me this truth. Like, there's nothing in the text that says that he looked at God and said, should I go to Egypt or anything? He just decides... I'm bailing. Yeah. You know, I'm out. I'm out. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't, like, God said this word can prosper me, but there's no food, so I need to, I need to get out. So he kind of, st- again, he starts taking matters into his own and hands. And then he
1: faces the vulnerability of, like, you know, his wife's apparently good-looking. Yeah, we're about to get into that. A and so, way. yeah, so, it, again, taking matters into his own hands, though. It, it's, it's, well, yeah. here we are, and I'm mm-hmm. in this place of vulnerability. And I'm not going to trust and, again, God or go to God. Yeah. I'm going to figure it out.
0: Huge motif, the trial motif. Think about this throughout Scripture. God graciously gives you a promise. He gives you His Word. Immediately a trial comes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Almost all the time in Scripture, the person who God gives the, the, uh, the trial to after He's given them their Word, they fail. Mm-hmm. It's not God who becomes unfaithful, it's them. Mm-hmm. What did Adam do? He'd been given God's Word. Mm-hmm. God told him, don't do this. You have everything you need right here. Yeah. What does Adam do when he faces his trial? He fails. Yeah. What does Israel do? They, they get God on Sinai saying, I will be your God and you will be my people. Mm-hmm. Here's what I'm going to provide for you. Sends them into the wilderness for a trial, of temptation. They fail.
1: They fail. Right? For this a long is a, time.
0: This is a constant <laughs> theme in Scripture. Yeah. Right? Of seeing the, the unfaithfulness when trial comes. You can't. It's hard for human beings to get over this hump. Mm-hmm. They are not the ones who, who are faithful. It's God. Yeah, who's I
1: mean, this is what we talked about this last Sunday. Of like this tendency that we have to have real moments of connection with the Lord, where our hearts are stirred. We love Him. We trust Him. We worship Him. And then we return to normal life, and we have this just pathological impulse to reassert. Control and yes. undertake the work into our hands. Yes.
0: Okay, so Abram decides to do that. He kind of takes matters in his own hands. He goes into Egypt, and you get this story of him finding himself in a tough spot. He knows that men are going to see his wife. The first words of Abraham, Abram in Scripture are talking about how beautiful his wife is. It's the first words we get from him. And, uh, and he realizes how beautiful his wife is and how men are going to kill him for her. Uh, because he's brought in, her into this
1: Ladies, context. You know you're really, really attractive when you know men kill each yeah. other. <laughs> and he knows he knows he's put the promise of God in jeopardy here.
0: He's putting himself where he could get killed, and therefore the promise is no longer. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's also a weird situation that you know he he comes up with this plan to to kind of half give her away in some way. He knows if if she gets impregnated and by other people then the promise is gone too because that's not his kids, mm. right? And so he's, he's in this weird place, and he comes up with this, like, Abr- Abram's a smart guy. He tells them a half-truth, right? Mm-hmm. It's true. She, he, she is his half-sister. Mm-hmm. Before the Mosaic Law, that was okay, The, the different genealogies, those yeah. sorts of things. So he, he tells a fib, yep. right? And here's the cleverness of this scheme is he, in that culture, if the father wasn't present, the brother negotiated if someone wanted to marry.
1: Mm.
0: So he was thinking, scholars think this isn't Caleb like just pulling this out of his head, but scholars think Abram thought as a brother, he if someone wanted to take her and marry her, he would have time to negotiate and kind of wiggle his way and stall mm. right by the time he could figure out what the famine and get out of there. Mm. So he comes up with what he thinks is a really clever plan to get out of this mess. But, as sin always does, it outsmarts you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because who decides to take her? Pharaoh. And Pharaoh doesn't ask. Pharaoh doesn't negotiate with brothers. <laughs> yeah.
1: So <laughs> you know? when it says in verse 15, and the woman, that's Sarah, was taken into Pharaoh's house, I mean, we assume here, right, that, that she's taken advantage of here. Is
0: that... I don't think we know that. We don't know? Okay. I don't think we know. Okay. I, I, I don't think we know that. Okay. We know she didn't the text doesn't indicate that she
1: was impregnated. Now, what Well, yeah, but she yeah. She's got fertility issues. Yeah.
0: That's true. That's
1: right? true. I mean, I I don't think Pharaoh brings in a be- the most beautiful woman in the land yeah. into his house, yeah. you know, to to, you know, serve yeah. tea. Yeah. <laughs> no, he probably did not. So, oh, he I, I mean, not. I think there's a haunting cloud kind of that hangs over this. Like where we need to see, um, we we start to see immediately what happens when a man of God who knows God, has received promises of God, worships God, but takes his life into his own hands, the catastrophic implications for the women and children under his charge. Yes. Because this is another pattern that we see. Yes. In the lives of these men. That there are people who Abraham... Abram is charged with caring for who suffer under his folly and his own self-protection, his own scheming. Um, And so we see that, I mean, we're going to see this over and over again in the Genesis, just in this family line Mm -hmm. of women who are, who are really suffering under, even if the men are relatively good men, comparatively good men, and we get glimpses of some of that, but like we see here, like, Think about the compromised, oppressive position this has put her in. She's not, I don't know how long it is, does it say later on how long it is, but she's in Pharaoh's house, which has some implications I think we could assume. You know, text doesn't say explicitly, but she's not with her husband. No. She's with the king of Egypt, Mm -hmm. and he can do whatever he wants with her. Yeah. That's a scary, scary place for Sarah to be. And that's going to matter. because he
0: wouldn't, he wouldn't do it God's way.
1: Yeah. And that's going to really matter. Ladies, when you flip around over to First Peter and you see um, God holding up Sarah as the model woman who embodies a godly wife who has a gentle and quiet spirit. And this is Peter's response to the question of, what do you do, wives? When you have a husband who you are relying on, but who is explicitly and overtly out of step with the gospel, Mm. what do you do? And he points to Sarah as a model, as a woman of a gentle and quiet spirit, who I love the line where he says, who she did not fear that which was frightening. Mm. Which is a mind boggling thing. What he's saying, what Peter's honoring is this situation is terrifying for her. And yet she did trust God. Mm hmm. It, at some level, yeah. in a way that Abraham was not. Yeah. And anyway, I, I think it's a, an interesting, compelling
0: Yeah, I had forgotten about that. Compelling about the, kind of, of idea. That imagery. Yeah, that, that's really important here, for sure. I should have looked into that. That's cool. So you get this point where Abram has worked into his own scheme, but he's been outsmarted hmm. by his own scheme, yeah. because Pharaoh can break all those rules of brothers negotiating, and he does. And um, so again, Abraham fails this testing pattern. Who's the only person in Scripture that actually succeeds at this testing pattern? The man Jesus Christ. The man Jesus Christ. <laughs> like think of, think about that motif that's forming. That I said you see in Israel, you see here, like God pronounces promise and blessing on you. Immediately you face trial, and you fail. Christ comes on the scene at his baptism. The Lord says, here's my son in whom I'm well pleased. Mm -hmm. What immediately happens to Jesus?
1: He's led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil.
0: To be tempted to take hold of the very things God had already said are true of you. Mm -hmm. To be tempted with, here's a way for you to do it yourself. And not just believe God's words of what he truly
1: says you are and he doesn't just generically no he does not decide well i think the father going to like no. hold me on this what does he do he clings to the promises of the word he recalls god. what god he, calls he re- to mind recalls god's word promises of scripture yeah yeah
0: okay yeah i think we should stop there for today cool. we're kind of we're literally just walking through the text like yeah. we're, we're so, like verse by verse almost we're trying to just pull gems as we see them in the text and give kind of get into the nitty-gritty of Abraham's situation. And in the midst of doing that, seeing these huge patterns in Scripture show up and these little details that mm-hmm. reveal so much about the fickleness of man and the faithfulness of God. Yeah. So we'll continue here with God's response to Abraham's folly here and how he saves him next week. Cool. Y'all have a good week.